Chapter Three of Uganda's White Man of Work: A Story of Alexander M. Mackay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Uganda's White Man of Work: A Story of Alexander M. Mackay by Sophia Lyon Foz. Chapter Three: Jungle Roads, Ox Carts, and Flybites. Since Mr. Mackay landed in Zanzibar, six months had come and gone. And what had he accomplished? A three hundred mile march inland only to be made all over again. A new outfit must now be purchased, a new caravan of porters must be hired, and again they must pick their way over the same rough, narrow trail. Weary as Mr. Mackay was of this snail-like way of traveling, he set to work immediately to prepare for a second caravan journey. But a letter from England changed his plans. The secretaries there, having heard of Mackay's sickness, wrote that he must not begin the march into the interior until June, when the rainy season would be over. In the meantime, they said he might see what could be done about building a road to Mopapua. At first this man of energy was disappointed. When again would he see his friends, he thought, and how much longer must he wait before telling King Mutesa of the white man's god? Yet without a complaint he was ready to turn road-builder but his friends up country sorely needed fresh supplies at the earliest possible moment he must gather a caravan and with someone else at its head he must send it off toward victoria lake the story is again one of delays and hardships compelled to sail three hundred miles north from zanzibar to find porters he tramped back on foot from village to village along the coast what discomforts were crowded into the three months he spent hiring baggage carriers no one but mr mackay himself knew Writing of one of his long journeys, he said, This walk was much harder than any I have made before. Days of mangrove swamp, hours of wading nearly to the waist, and occasional swimming across rapid rivers usually gave me an appetite for food and rest. I had only a man, my cook, and a boy with me, so that I had to dispense with the luxuries of a tent, bed, change of clothing, and such things. I often got a hut to sleep in, but when not, I enjoyed sleeping in the open air, preferring it often to a cow stable swarming with ants and similar unpleasant friends. Later he wrote again, I have slept in all sorts of places, a cow stable, a sheep coat, a straw hut not much larger than a dog kennel, a hen house, and often in no house at all. So anything suits me provided I get a spot tolerably clear of ants and mosquitoes. Of all the plagues of Egypt, none could have been worse than that of the black ants. Finally, the carriers were hired, and the caravan was started on its way toward Victoria Lake. The young missionary, however, who had gathered it, was again helplessly ill with fever. The strain of the three months of labor had proved too much for him. Had it not been for the kind nursing of white friends in Zanzibar, his life story would perhaps have ended here. Six weeks later, however, he was out of bed and enthusiastic over the commonplace labor of building a road. Having hired forty black carriers, besides women, to carry loads and men to drive donkeys, he set up a camp about five miles from the coast on the top of a hill overlooking a small town. This seemed a most desirable spot for camping because it was high and exposed to fresh breezes from both the sea and the land. Here Mr. Mackay planned to live several weeks while working on the road in the neighborhood. Writing from his camp, he said, I sit at present like Abraham in his tent door. My servants, my flocks, and my herds are about me. I am well again, thank God, and camp life has set my spirits up. My horse, my dog, my goat, 
my oxen and donkeys, with all of my household of nearly seventy men and women, are enough to feed and quite enough to look after at one time. My working gang consists of only about forty men, and these I have armed with the best American axes, English hatchets, picks, and spades, and saws. All these tools are as new to them as they are to the natives of the villages we pass through. A donkey's load of large iron nails I have taken with me, and plenty of hammers, but the wood is as a rule too hard for the iron to enter. For such cases I have supplied myself with a large stock of strong rope of coconut fiber. One of the tools I brought with me from England proves more serviceable than all the rest together. It is merely a two-foot grindstone which I have mounted on a wooden frame. Every evening when we return from work in time, the edges of the tools are applied to the face of this wonderful machine, while the villagers crowd around as anxiously gazing on as little Toddy ever did when he wanted to see the wheels go round. During the morning hours the gang would be busy with axes, shovels, and saws. In the open and level country men would be scattered here and there over the trails, each clearing and leveling his own particular stretch of the road. Perhaps far behind the rest would be five or six workmen toiling steadily at some unusually sturdy tree, whose hard wood was too much for the saws and axes. In the dense jungles, on the other hand, the men would be huddled together like colonies of ants, doing their hardest work. So thick were some of these woodlands that the black toilers were often hidden from sight. According to Mr. Mackay, even a cat could scarcely find room to wedge its way through the matted underbrush, creepers, and tropical ferns. Where a narrow trail had before been cut through these miles of jungle, the branches and hanging vines were so closely interlaced overhead that the traveller could scarcely get a glimpse of the blue sky, and would be walking, as it were, through a damp, leafy tunnel. To saw through a tree-trunk in such a tangled mess seldom meant that the tree would fall, unless the matted undergrowth were first slashed away. Sometimes they shelved out a footing around the brow of a mountain. Sometimes they had to cover swampy stretches with layers of logs, thus making a corduroy road. At other times they prepared to ford streams by grading the banks on either side. Their greatest achievement was the building of a bridge in seven days. The ignorant black men had never before seen any kind of a bridge for wagon traffic. The entire structure was built of wood almost as hard as iron, so that Mr. Mackay thought that it would long stand against the attacks of white ants. These negro laborers, like most of their race, worked best when singing. As they chopped and shoveled and dug, one might have heard them chant this song made up for Mr. Mackay's special benefit. A A Muzungu Mbaya, Tukati Miti, Twende Ulaya. Put into English it means, Is not the white man very bad? He fells to the ground to the tall trees to make a way for the Englishman. Days, weeks, and even months came and went. All the way, black men slashed and sawed and dug and leveled, while Mr. Mackay rode or walked back and forth amongst them, encouraging them to their best work. Oft times he showed them what to do and how to do it by taking shovel or pick in hand and leveling banks or filling mud holes. He provided their food, planned for their shelter, and cared for their sick. He longed to be able to talk their language, that he might tell them of the God who cared for them and wanted them to live useful lives. Finally, after one hundred days of vigorous toil, the road was completed. Before it was begun, there was only a crooked, narrow trail stretching for the two hundred and thirty miles to Mopapua. At some places, donkeys could scarcely be pulled through the thick jungle, porters tore their scanty clothes or cut their skins on the thorny bushes, and for lack of room overhead, bales of cotton had to be dragged along the ground. 
when they finished the work there was a clear road all the way from the coast to the mountains and it was broad enough to allow the largest ox carts to pass each other at any point the natives of the country were half pleased and half alarmed because of this wondrous achievement mr mackay wrote passers-by opened their mouths as well as their eyes at the ninja kubwa big road of the white man and when they return to talk together at evening in their villages the story of the big road is told and as is always the case in africa with enormous exaggerations to the chief men however the story is not always pleasing and the report is being widely spread that the english are coming to take possession of the country the chief of the village near which i made the bridge took a more practical view of the matter and told me one day with all the command his dirty visage could assume that i must pay a hundred dollars for cutting down the trees in his territory i told him that it was he who should give me the hundred dollars to pay my men for making a bridge which he and his people could not make for as soon as i was gone he would call it his own and probably levy honga from those caravans which cared to pay him when the road was completed mr mackay and his men returned to the coast now he thought we are ready to travel in a civilized way we will buy oxen and carts for carrying our baggage and we will reach mupapa in half the time it took us before the experiment has been tried most successfully in south africa by other men why cannot we succeed in central africa more enthusiastically he began preparations for the journey but again he found that he had a difficult task before him in the first place oxen which had never before been hitched to carts had to be broken in neither could men be found who had ever before driven oxen so that new hands had to be taught this was harder mr mackay said than to teach the oxen to pull then too they were obliged to camp in a very unhealthful place up in his old camp on the hill many of the oxen died from the poisonous sting of the tsetse fly and mr mackay with his men and flocks and herds was obliged to move to the plain for at least two months before they started their journey it rained nearly every day the plain became a quagmire and the training of oxen and men had to stop waiting so long at the coast for the rainy season to pass mr mackay's men grew discontented and unruly and some of them deserted him also mr tytherley his assistant who had lately arrived from england was laid low with a severe attack of fever they must soon travel along or many others also would be sick in spite of the rain and mud therefore the long lumbering caravan moved out of the town there were six large awkward carts loaded to the full with baggage teams of from eight to twenty oxen were pulling each cart many more oxen were taken as reserves to fill the places of those which might be injured or become sick on the road in all there were as many as eighty oxen to drive and to lead these animals and to manage the brakes on the cart required thirty men and thirty more might have been seen carrying on their heads bundles of baggage behind the carts came a flock of sheep and goats to be used as food for the party and also five donkeys and six dogs over each cart waved a flag when they camped by the road for the night a flag waved also above each tent door the largest of all flying over mr mackay's tent these were not the national flags of great britain or of the united states they were blue each with a large red cross painted on its center the african heathen could not understand what they meant but any christian will readily guess the meaning of the flags after ten days of travel mr mackay tells the story of their adventures a long time without practice on account of the rain and mud had put the oxen out of trim so that when we set off we were able to make only a few hundred yards progress the first day next day more rain made matters worse and we made not a half mile i then resolved to remove four hundred pounds of baggage from each cart 
after a couple of days rearranging loads we got a fair start but another deluge of rain caused us to stop short at the foot of the hill where our old camp had been next day we got to the top of the hill and have since then made a little progress when it was fair after ten marching days usually with double teams in each cart and wheels down to the axle in mud we are camped today only ten miles from the coast i have resolved therefore to send back two of the larger carts with their loads about two weeks later christmas day eighteen seventy seven he wrote again you should see me every day with clothes bespattered with mud and hands black like a chimney sweeps catching the spokes of the wheels every now and then as they get into holes and yelling at the top of my voice to the oxen till the forest resounds so much yelling have i to do in the six hours we march a day that when i get into camp i am always quite hoarse a team of twenty-six oxen frequently spanned on in front of one cart does need good shouting and lashing to get them to pull together it is not walking with my umbrella or riding on a donkey behind a cart but ever getting some one or another or all the carts out of this difficulty and the next my men are far from skillful in the art of driving long teams through the forest and are constantly bringing the carts against trees or stones or into holes not infrequently upsetting them altogether it is hopeless for instance in trying to cross a river to find one ox lie down another break loose and run away several more with their faces to the cart where their tails should be and so on one's patience gets sorely tried by such occurrences but the only way is patiently to arrange all and try again here are some lines from another letter a terrible scorpion crawled over me just now i should like you to see half the horrors of the kind i see in a day snakes and ants on the ground below till one shudders from top to toe and terrible biting stinging huge flies all above and about drawing blood at every bite last night i was busy sleeping when just at my ear a terrible growl of a hyena made me spring to my feet seize my rifle and fire but bobby my dog was before me and set up such a furious bark that the beast skulked off before i had time to present it with a bullet i dare say you think it a dastardly kind of life to lie with a revolver under one's pillow and a rifle at one's side but it is necessary here for anything may happen at any moment and it is best to be ready sometimes mr mackay's experiences were more amusing than dangerous one night he was sleeping soundly on a mattress on the floor of his tent when he was awakened by a very uncomfortable feeling of numerous things crawling over him to his surprise he found a colony of brown ants in his tent unwittingly he had camped across their line of march by thousands they were crawling over him and his mattress he climbed on top of a box while some of his men set fire to the whole ground inside and around his tent after an hour's struggle the ants disappeared but mr mackay slept on the top of the box till daybreak at one place the party were obliged to cross a river very much flooded by the recent rains they could not wait for the water to fall for thunderstorms were coming as frequently as ever cross it they must but how to do it was a most difficult puzzle this is the way mackay solved it one of the carts was stripped of its wheels and all other fittings so that when all the cracks were filled with tar it made a sort of small barge a few excellent swimmers of the caravan carried a cord across the river by means of this cord a rope was hauled across and passed around a strong post on the opposite side and then brought back to the side on which the caravan was stationed to this pulley the cart barge was attached by pulling the rope from one or the other bank the men carried the barge with its cargo of freight across the river or brought it back empty to be reloaded other swollen rivers and smaller streams had to be crossed from time to time it was no mere play to cross any one of them with oxen and carts and baggage which needed to be kept dry 
One day the accidents were not confined to the carts or baggage, but Mr. Mackay himself was temporarily crippled. He had just succeeded in getting one of the carts over a stream when he became entangled in a bush and one of the wheels caught his right foot. He fell, and the wheel ran over both his legs. He nearly fainted from the shock, yet a little crude doctoring revived him considerably. Two of his men, putting their loads into the carts, carried him along in a hammock. However, it continued to be a day of troubles, for cart after cart upset. Then, too, sick as he was, Mr. Mackay was obliged to turn from patient to doctor, for the chief of a village nearby, hearing of his arrival, sent to him seven of his subjects to be vaccinated, and one little boy to be cured of spinal disease. One morning the natives gave Mr. Mackay a unique surprise. Lo, his road had been changed with a field of growing corn. "'We thought you white men had cleared this space for us that we may plant gardens,' the natives exclaimed. In reality, they were afraid that the great teams of oxen coming along the white man's road would soon be followed by vast European armies. The farther inland the caravan traveled, the more the natives tried to harass them. In many places they blocked the road with bushes and trunks of trees. As soon as the cattle were safely across a river, they drove them back to the other side, and became very angry when they saw the oxen tread down the corn planted on the track. Indeed, one chief sent word to Mr. Mackay that if he took his teams past the chief's village he would be shot. Only by patience and skill could headway be made. Still one more misfortune came upon them, greater than all that have been mentioned. In many parts of the road the caravan was pestered by the tsetse flies. These were large, brownish-yellow insects which, by the thousands, stung both the men and the oxen. Although they seemed to bring little more than discomfort to the men, their sting was almost invariably fatal to the animals. When still some distance from Mopuapua, half of the eighty oxen with which they started were dead, and many more were sick, and it was not many weeks before the surviving oxen became so few that the carts were abandoned entirely. Thus the road had been built at the cost of nearly one-third of a year's time. With much difficulty oxen had been trained and men taught to drive them. Carts had been brought all the way from India, and much money had been spent, and months of hard rough labor had been given to make travel by carts a success. But the little brown flies with their poisonous stings spoiled it all. It was discouraging indeed, but listen to the missionary who had done the hardest work of all. Small beginnings may lead to something higher and better in the future, but the first steps cannot be anything but tedious. The longest night has always had a dawn when done. And here I do believe no far distant time will say a very different order of things from what has been always in the past. We are indeed groping in the dark as to how or what we ought to do first, but great bodies grow slowly, and the garden of the devil cannot be reclaimed for God all in a year. This will certainly be yet a highway for the king himself, and all that pass this way will come to know his name. Why should this one white man be so hopeful? When traveling on foot he had barely escaped death from fever. He had failed in building a road. What would he attempt next? Indeed, what was there left for him to try? End of chapter 3